Ephesians chapter 6. I invite you, if you're able to, to please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to begin reading in verse 10. Begin reading in verse 10. We'll just read a few verses today. Ephesians 6 verse 10, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Again, the, the armor of God passage here in Ephesians 6, I'm sure most of you have been around church enough, Sunday school, you probably have heard uh, lessons or, or sermons uh, that have mentioned this before. And again, what we're doing here for the next uh, couple of weeks is we are kind of going through bit by bit the armor of God. And uh, the command is given that we should put on the whole armor of God. That means all of it's important and all of it's, it's vital for us and everything has a purpose, a divine purpose for us to live our lives effectively for Him. So as we think about it, we're going to kind of focus primarily this morning on verse 12. And talking about really our, the real battle and our real enemy and uh, some hope that we have as we face this great spiritual enemy. There is a story of Martin Luther, the reformer, that illustrates the battles that we face in spiritual warfare. It was in 1521 that Martin Luther went into hiding after being declared an outlaw and a heretic by the Catholic Church at the Diet of Worms. Over, for nearly a year, about 300 days, Martin Luther remained in the Wartburg Castle in Germany. And uh, there he faced great difficulties. Uh, he spent much time in prayer. He sang songs. He did what he could. He just had a small little room with a small little, little bedroom right there. He was there again in secret, kind of in hiding. But as he was there, one of the great works that he did was translating the New Testament from Greek into German. Luther faced numerous uh, obstacles and opposition, both physically from his enemies, those that sought his life, but he also faced great spiritual opposition as well. It was during his translation work that there's a story that says that he sensed the devil's attack during that time, and it was reported that he was so overcome with frustration of the spiritual oppression that he threw the inkwell that was on his desk, and he threw it trying to hit the devil, but instead hit the wall, and there left a blot on the wall. Okay, And so throughout the years, uh, tourists who have gone by to the Warburg Castle, when they came into Luther's room uh, that was there, they were supposedly have saw the ink blot that was there. Now, there's questions whether this was indeed fact or fiction. Was this a legend or not? If you've read anything about Martin Luther, uh, you would know that this would not be um, necessarily opposed to his behavior. Uh, I like what one uh, writer said this, one biographer said of Luther, that he was kind of like the Apostle Peter in some ways. He would have been a very fascinating and entertaining dinner guest, but you're probably happy when he left, too. Okay, he was that type of personality. Maybe some of you were like that. We will leave that there, right? Or you know someone like that, okay? But anyways, as we think about it, that was much like Luther. But Luther, I will say this. One thing about Luther is this, that he took seriously spiritual warfare. This was, a, this was a very real thing to him, and it should be to us today as well. You know, when the Apostle Paul is giving his command here to the Ephesians, that this was indeed a very real 
battle that they were facing. He's not just putting it here just to give us hope and encourage us along the way. He's doing that. But understand this, that what we deal with today as Christians, we deal in a very specific warfare that we have. So we want to first of all look today at this, that we face a real battle. We face a real battle. It says here in verse 12. Okay, actually, let me just kind of revamp or re recover a couple things from last week. Again, verse 10, he, Paul says again, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. The strength that we have is not our own strength. It's only in the Lord. We have to depend on that in the power of his might. And Paul commands us here to put on the whole armor of God that may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This talks about being, being sure-footed against the wiles or the method, the schemes, the tricks of the devil. And by the way, don't think that you are smarter than the devil, that you can outwit him. You'll never win that battle on your own. That's why desperately we need the armor of God in our life. So now we look at verse 12. In verse 12, again, it says here, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I want to kind of stop and look at that phrase right there for a second. This is what I think here is the real battle. I want you to know, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we face a real battle, a real spiritual battle. Uh, now, understanding this, that the word here for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The word wrestle there, and it's not too hard to think of this, but sometimes we just don't think, you know, simply on this. But wrestling, what is this? How many of you ever did wrestling, maybe when you're in high school or college or anything? All right, Dennis, I'll take you on after the service, all right? <laughs> You'll probably win, too, okay? <laughs> but I did that a little bit, too, and I was in, uh, mostly in elementary years, did that for a couple years. My dad was a wrestler, even went to the state tournament. Uh, here in Minnesota, but wrestling is an athletic term, and it really, what it's talking about here, just as you think of wrestlers grappling, okay, this is a hand-to-hand, -hand, foot foot-to-foot conflict. It's a very physical battle that we have. Now, you know, warfare that we have today largely is kind of from a distance. You throw rockets, drones, whatever you can from a distance and try to hit your enemy, even cyber attacks. You can be halfway around the world and inflict uh, damage to your enemy. Okay, we, we're aware of that. But think of this back in the Roman times. When you went to battle, the vast majority of the conflict was fought hand-to-hand, -hand, foot foot-to-foot. And by the way, that this battle that we have, that we are wrestling against, is real. Okay? And it is very, very important. Understand this, that this battle is more than uh, physical. It's not just a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. I like what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4 says this. For, we walk in, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, or not fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The battle that we face here largely is a, is a spiritual battle. It's an unseen realm, an unseen world that we're really fighting in today. And this is important as we think about that. And he said, you know, I'm doing okay. Maybe you say, you know, I'm living life pretty well, you know, overall. And, you know, you don't really face too many attacks. Guess what? As a child of God, you, you devote yourself to obedience to the word. You devote yourself to service. And guess what? Sooner or later, you will face attacks. You will face the wiles or the schemes of the devil. It will happen as you follow the Lord. You know what? The devil is pleased with just an ordinary Christian who doesn't do much. He's really not threatened by even you sitting here in church. He's not thrilled about it, but you know what? What he's most afraid of, and there's a saying, the devil's most afraid when a, a sinner, saved by grace, is on his knees praying before God. 
This is a very important battle that we have. And again, we, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war out the flesh. Again, we have a spiritual battle. But understand that the wrestling that we have here, I want you to know this, that the, the battles that we fight spiritually, it's not just a little skirmish here and there. Sometimes it might feel that way. But the ultimate spiritual battle is really a battle to the death. It's mortal combat when you think about this. This is serious stuff, folks, and this is something we should not glance over lightly, not take lightly. The wrestling that we have is not against flesh and blood. That's not our primary enemy. And that really leads us to the next part. We have a real battle, but we also have a real enemy. And I want to say this at the beginning here, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So our enemy is not primarily flesh and blood. In other words, sometimes we view enemy as maybe someone who's giving us a hard time at work. Maybe a family member who makes fun of you for believing in God. You could go, or maybe someone you've witnessed to that just won't accept a tract or, or whatever you want to say to them. The list goes on and on. But understand this, that the real enemy is not people. The real enemy is not people. It's not someone who's antagonizing you. But really, the real enemy are the spiritual forces of evil. Now, the devil may, in fact, use people to accomplish his path. He might have that co-worker of you giving you a hard time. That He might influence that way. That's very possible. That's the, that's the spiritual warfare that we're talking about. But our real enemy is not people, okay? All right? You might argue with someone even over, over politics or whatever else like that. You might argue over spiritual things. But in doing this, I remember hearing a story of a man who was uh, in Syria, or a Lebanese man, sorry, a Lebanese man, and when the Syrian forces came and they started overrunning Lebanon, this is some years ago now, that he used to hate the Syrian soldiers that would come there and, of course, uh, harass and the people that was there. And then what he realized this, that the people that he was there, uh, that he was angry against, he realized, you know what? Maybe God has sent them here to me because he viewed them not as the enemy, but as a mission field. Think about that. Those who you perceive it as an, an enemy, as really, when you think about it from in God's perspective, that's really a mission field. You know, when we have immigrants and people that have come from all over the world to this country to call home, I'm thankful that the deep's coming here. God bless you for that. When you think about it, most of our family has come really not that long ago to this country. And when we have immigrants and people coming in, though that's not our enemy, that's our mission field. We're supposed to go all into all the world. Guess what? The world has come to you. Let's go and share the gospel to every creature, no matter where they're from, every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And we'll see in the future a multitude redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, over whom he will crown his son, the line of the tribe of Judah, King of kings and Lord of lords forever. That's the beautiful aspect of this. As we think here, the real enemy against not people, but the spiritual forces of evil. So as we look now about this battle, what exactly does the enemy look like? What does this look like? In verse 12 again, it says here, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The, the flesh and blood, the people, is not our enemy, but here it is. Against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So there are four descriptions of this enemy that's here. And as you see here, you have here the word against. Four times it's mentioned against principalities, against powers, and so on. So understand this, and we talked about this briefly last week here, but I want to repeat it, that the fourfold stand against, the four times we see against here, really reveals the diabolical determination of our enemy. You understand this, that Satan will not stop 
until his day is completely done. I mean, he's a doomed enemy, we know that. But understand, he will not stop until he has you at least in somewhat of his control, okay? And so this is why we desperately need to put on the armor of God. Because the enemy, Satan, our accuser, he will stop at nothing to get a hold of you and to distract you, discourage you, and dissuade you from doing what God wants you to do. He will spare no expense to do that. And why is that? So he gets the glory and not God. Okay? That's pretty much what it's about. All right? We remember this uh, when Peter, uh, Jesus talked to Peter. And again, sometimes we don't realize how affected we are by spiritual warfare. And remember, what did Peter say to Jesus, or Jesus say to Peter? He says, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. Satan wasn't even really aware, or they, excuse me, Peter was not really aware of what was going on in the background behind the scenes as Jesus was about to go to the cross here. But understand, Satan desires to sift, just like Peter, he desires to sift you like weed. He loves to have his handle and his influence in your life. If he can't, he'll send one of his, his minions there. Not the cartoon minions, okay, the real ones, all right. So understand this, it's very important. So let's kind of break this down here as we look at this. What are the principalities and powers? And this really here, both of these terms, really refers to titles, and it refers to kind of the ranks of evil beings. Basically, think of Satan's dominion, and this is his henchmen. This is those that are under him, his rank-and-file uh, servants, if you will. Uh, and so this is who he uses, again, to accomplish his plans and purposes. Okay, so this is talking about principalities and powers that are there. All right. Uh, by the way, sometimes when you read in different commentaries, that they're, sometimes they'll break this down into physical aspects, like physical kings and potentates and, and powers that be of this world. And by the way, Satan can use kingdoms of this world to try to accomplish his goals. We know that. Right? You just look at any government XYZ, as good as they may be, they can easily turn and accomplish what Satan wants instead of what God wants. Nonetheless, very interesting as you see that. Now we talk here about the rulers of the darkness of this world. The rulers of the darkness of the world is really referring, again, to Satan's uh, authority, if you will. Okay? He, Satan does have, uh, like I said, he has power, but it's a limited power. It's not absolute Satan is not all-powerful, he's not all-present, he's not all-wise, but he is rather crafty, okay? We, need to, be, we under, need to understand our real enemy. Satan, the Bible says here, is the prince of this world. The book of John mentions a few times. He is the prince or the kind of the leader of this world. In, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, he is the god of this world. That's god with a little g, okay, lowercase g. Right? He has power, but again, it's limited. But again, he is very powerful in all that. Understand this, that Satan's kingdom, he uses evil spirits and wicked men. He used both of those, doesn't he? He uses evil spirits and wicked men. He accomplishes that. We also see that Satan's kingdom is characterized by what? By darkness rather than light. That's his kingdom. That's Satan's kingdom. It's characterized by darkness rather than light. Those that follow him, that they love darkness rather than light because what? Their deeds were evil. They basically followed after their master, Satan. Okay? So very important. So we have a real enemy. We have a real battle, and we have a real enemy. Don't take that for granted. We also see here another aspect of this verse here. We see the spiritual wickedness in high places. We talk about high places here. Ephesians 2.2 talks about Satan, or our enemy, being the prince and power of the air. 
He is the one who kind of controls this atmosphere in a way. And uh, not necessarily in a physical sense, but he is um, it's amazing where Satan gets to. Again, he's a spirit. He's a created being. Now, understand this. What does that look like? What is the prince in power? What is the characteristics of the prince in power of the air? We understand this, that, think of this. Where did Satan, he was a created being. Okay, he was in heaven. And guess what? Because of his sin, he and the third of the angels were kicked out of heaven. Okay, you look at Isaiah for that. Okay, but understand, what was the characteristics of, of Satan? It was pride and presumption that was his downfall. And these are the sins in heavenly places. This is what we're thinking. So when we talk about the spiritual wickedness in high places, we're thinking the same thing. That that's where Satan dwelt, okay? And now he is the prince in the power of the air. And guess what? That his reputation follows him. He's one on built on pride and presumption and loves to have any of the sons of men follow his lead and to be prideful as well. So guys, we got to be careful. That is that's a mark of spiritual influence in a negative way, definitely. But here's the point I want to bring us to as we've looked at these verses. See the description here of the enemy that we have. The principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness, the spiritual wickedness in high places, and everything about them. Again, this is a real thing. Going back to Martin Luther, we sang the song here a few moments ago, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. In the first verse we read here, it says, For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. We face a real enemy. That's Satan who desires, as Peter, to sift you like wheat, to have his way with you. How desperately then we need to have the armor of God, folks. How desperately we need God's grace and his work in our life. Don't think as a Christian that you can handle the Christian life by yourself and your own strength. You're not going to get very far. You will fail. But you will be victorious in putting on the armor of God, the whole armor of God. You know, we think about this, the spiritual wickedness in high places and the domain of Satan and his kingdom that's on earth. Remember, Satan's a defeated foe. He's mighty, but he's defeated foe. Remember this. Here's the contrast, though. Should believers be afraid of this foe? No. Why is that? I want you to turn with me to Ephesians 1. Okay? Ephesians chapter 1. And this kind of ties this in here. Okay? So with this, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're here today as a child of God, you are saved, you are born again, there is a great promise that you do not need fear our enemy, and you do not be afraid in the midst of the battle. Why? Because what is our standing? What is our? What have we received? We talked about the spiritual wickedness in heavenly places or in high places. But look with me in Ephesians one verse three. It says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings." Where, in heavenly places. Again, that's the contrast. Satan, he is the prince and power of the air. The wickedness over in heavenly places or high places. But guess what? Even more so, God has given his own, his children, blessings in heavenly places. And guess what? That's going to trump Satan any day. As a child of God, you can rest on that promise. Greater is he that is in you than in he that is in the world. We can rest in that. So now my challenge is we've looked at a real battle that we are in. We've looked at a real enemy. That's Satan, our accuser. And as powerful as he's a defeated foe, and why is that? Because I want us to turn our attention that we have a real victor. 
we have a real victor, a champion, the King of kings and Lord of lords. How do we know that? We see, first of all, that Christ, Jesus Christ, is the creator over these principalities and powers. Look with me in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at a couple verses here. Colossians chapter 1. And look with me in verse 16. This is talking about Jesus Christ, the firstborn, who is the image of the invisible of God, who is from the firstborn of every creature. In verse 16, it says this, For by him were all things created, from Jesus. He's the creator. And in heaven, and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. You know what, that just mirrors a little bit what Paul was saying there in Ephesians 6, talking about the principalities and powers of the world. Jesus, the creator, he is God, he's eternal. He is the creator over these principalities and powers. What does that mean? In other words, that the demons, they are created beings. They are not, they are eternal beings in a sense, but they are, they are not, uh, they're not equal to God. They are simply created beings like the angels are. But demons here, and the devil himself, are limited in authority. If God is the creator, if Jesus is the creator over them, that means Jesus has authority over these demons, over these principalities, and over these powers, and over their presence as well. So demons are limited in their authority, they're limited in their power, and they're limited in their presence. And we can thank God for that. So understand, the real victor is this. He is the creator and the authority over these principalities and powers. Let's kind of expand that idea in this and seeing that Jesus Christ is over all principalities and powers. What do we mean by that? Look back in Ephesians chapter 1. Kind of going back and forth a little bit here. Ephesians chapter 1. We looked at this verse last week, but it's worth looking at again, especially in context here of the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse, uh, let's start in verse uh, 20. I think that's a good place. It says here, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Talking about the power that raised Christ from the dead. And set him at his own right hand, where? In heavenly places. That's really who's control of the heavenly places. Satan, again, has limited power there. But look at verse 21, very carefully. For above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that is to come, and hath put all things under his feet under the feet of Jesus, and gave him to be the head of the church over all things, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills it all. So this is important. Jesus Christ is above all. Nothing can match him. So he is over all principalities and powers. So when you think of the battle that you're in, the temptations that you are facing right now, the discouragement, the burdens that you are carrying, the spiritual battle that is. You know, when you, I don't know about you, but have you ever been in maybe in a season of prayer? Maybe even just praying over your food, and you can't even put two words together. Have you ever felt that way when you pray? Okay. Understand this, that all the distractions in life, that there is a real battle going on. There's a real enemy, a powerful enemy that we face, but even more, there's a real victor who is in all control over them. In the essence, what? Satan and his, and his demons, they have to answer to Jesus ultimately. They have to answer to him. So remember that, child of God, that you have hope. And that you have Christ, your captain, who is in charge over the forces of evil. And their days are numbered. Praise God for that. Here's a thought. Why, as we look here at the armor of God, 
Remember, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and concerning a great spiritual warfare and the battle that they're facing amongst, amongst these spiritual enemies. But why was this such a big deal? I want us to turn back to Paul's journey to Ephesus now in the book of Acts. Look at me in Acts chapter 19. And I want you to see this. This is so important. And this is why, it almost shouts off the page, why Paul is taking such detailed time in explaining the spiritual warfare that is taking place there in Ephesus. And that really affects us all today as well. As we look here in Ephesians chapter 19, I want us to begin reading in verse 11. We're going to read a few verses together. I think it's important to read the account here of what's taking on. Again, Paul here is coming to Ephesus. He's preaching the gospel there for about two years and building up this church, a great church that's there. Okay, and God did many good things. In verse 11 it says, And God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul, so that from his body were brought into him sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from him, and the evil spirits went out from them. Verse 13, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preacheth. Okay, so in other words, there were these Jewish exorcists, vagabonds, that came and followed him, and they were trying to copy what Paul was doing, see if that trick would work for them. All right, here's an example, verse 14. And there were seven sons of the one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And so this is an example of that. Verse 15, And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? Who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped, upon, leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, and that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Wow. So again, talking about a spiritual warfare. This is happening in Ephesus right now. What's the outcome of this? Look with me now in verse 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. And many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Wow, you talk about spiritual warfare. That's exactly what's happening in Ephesus. In fact, the people who got right, they said, we're going to give this up. All the sorcery, witchcraft, and all that. We're not going to follow the force of evil. We're going to follow the one true God. They even sacrificed their, their enchantments, their devices, amulets, their books. In fact, it says here about 50,000 pieces of silver. Uh, scholars estimate that to be around $1 to $5 million in today's value. Okay? This was serious business. They were serious about that. By the way, I don't know if anyone's like this here or even watching, but if there's anything that you have that resembles anything demonic, get that out of your house. Get it out of the way. It has no business being in your home. That will do nothing but distract you from doing what God has you to do. This is serious business. This is not a game, folks. This is not a game. This is serious business. All right? But here's the thing. The end result is this. Those people follow the Lord. They follow the Lord, and the word of God grew mightily. That's why, now you think about that, why is Paul then giving such attention to the armor of God in Ephesians 6? Because he says, there is a real battle, and there really is a real enemy. You don't believe me? Remember what happened to the sons of Sceva. Remember that story. This is a real battle, and this is why Paul is saying so urgently to put on the armor of God. And you're probably saying, well, pastor, those things don't happen anymore. <laughs> Look around. It really does. Okay? 
I think what has happened here in this city over the past couple years with riots and all that, no, that's not the works of righteousness that were taking place here in this city. That's demonic influence. I'm calling it for what it is. It's, that's not a popular preaching, folks, and it actually grieves me even to think about that. But we understand this, that we have a great, real spiritual warfare that is doing everything to distract us from the peace of God that passes all understanding. And it's making us have tension and turmoil. That's not the ways of God, folks. He has given us the gospel of peace that we're supposed to proclaim. We'll get to that in a few weeks, by the way. Pretty amazing when we think about that. But again, as great, as powerful as our enemy and our accuser is, his power is limited his authority is limited, and his presence is limited, folks, because we have a real victor. So here's the thing. The spiritual war was evident there in Ephesus, and that's what Paul is highlighting here. That's in the backdrop that he has here. With this, we have a real victor in Jesus Christ, but I want you to know that we are victors in Christ. We have victory in Jesus. The Bible says, and I want you to turn with me now to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. A familiar passage to us here. Romans 8, and let's begin reading in verse 37. As, child, as children of God, folks, we have victory. Look with me here in verse 37, chapter 8, 37. It says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And watch carefully, verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, in Jesus Christ, you are victorious. You are a conqueror. You win with Jesus Christ. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God. It's worth it. God gave it to you for a reason, to trust in him. And to believe in him, to walk with him. Why is that? You know, before we are saved, and I mentioned this last week, that there, in this spiritual battle, before you were saved, you were on the other side. You were fighting against God, whether you realized it or not. You were fighting against God. But once you were saved, guess what? Now you switch sides to the winner, to the victor. Here's the thing. What is the difference between this battle? In Acts chapter 26, 18, I'll just read it to you here. We have true victory in Jesus. Listen carefully. It says this. To, Paul is actually giving his testimony to Herod Agrippa. And in that he says this. The reason why he's preaching was this. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. Why? That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. In other words, when you get saved, you switch sides. You're no under, longer under the power of Satan. Guess what? You're saved from that. When you're saved, you're saved from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day in glory, the future presence of sin. That will be glory. Think about that, folks. What a glorious day that will be. In Christ, we are victors. We are victorious. We have victory in Jesus. Thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the name of this church? There you go. There's a theme going on here. Okay, praise God for that. But I want, to, I want to encourage you by saying this. We sang again earlier, a mighty fortress is our God. In verse 3 says this. We actually didn't sing this, but I want you to hear it. Listen carefully to the words. Luther writes, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed, 
his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. His days are numbered. He's a defeated foe. And while he's going to raise his ugly head as much as he can during this age, his end is sure. We can thank God for that. How desperately then, believers, we need to have the armor of God. We, the Christian warfare is real, folks. We have a real battle, real enemy, but we have a real victor, and we are victors in Christ. My challenge is this, that we must never underestimate our enemy. When you go into warfare, you need to study as much as you can about the person you're fighting. Never underestimate your enemy. It's important both to identify the enemy and, and understand his methods. We are engaged in a great battle with real spiritual warfare. This is why we should then put on the whole armor of God. Each piece put on, how? With prayer. How desperately we need to pray, folks. You know what, I'll be honest with you, as we talked here today about the armor of God, we talk about our enemy Satan, more than anything else, don't let this moment flippantly go by. This is a moment where we could face attacks. I've seen it firsthand over and over and over in ministry. This is actually a hard message for pastors to preach because of the great spiritual warfare we have. What I ask you to do, I want you to pray for me as we go through this passage. I pray for you, I pray this morning, especially coming in, that God would bless each and every one of your families, that he would protect this congregation and keep Satan, keep the evil one away. Deliver us not from temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Folks, we need to pray as a church in these weeks as we think about this. Spiritual warfare is real. We need to put on each piece of the armor with prayer. We need to pray and then pray and pray again. The enemy, he's going to try to distract you. He's going to try to discourage you. And he's going to try to destroy you. I want to tell you as we close this message today a little story. And we mentioned it briefly here a few weeks ago. The church that I was speaking at, Falls Baptist Church in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, uh, on July 3rd, uh, that weekend, it's the same time that Frankie got severely injured. But there, at their church, there was a young man in their church in his early 20s that they were wa- the church was outside at a parking lot watching the fireworks going on that night. There was an 18-year-old uh, lady that was driving her car and somehow lost control of the car and plowed into their church group. If it was any other direction, a lot more people would have been hurt, but there was one man in particular, his name was Benjamin Reamers, that was killed. He was killed. He was blunt force trauma. He was just run over by that SUV. His sister, Emily Grace, was badly damaged, badly injured. Uh, She, thank God, is out of the hospital. By the way, she is actually staying in the home in the Sanderlands that were here a few weeks ago, okay? And so when Ben Reamers was killed, Understand this, when I listened this week to the stories, I had lunch with the pastor, or supper with the pastor, Wayne Van Gelderen there, and telling me the story of kind of what happened with everything, that Ben Reamers was one of those type of people, he would minister wherever he could. He was part of their Bible college there, seminary student, and he, his goal was to become a pastor, to be in ministry, and uh, he literally gave his life. That morning, he actually taught Sunday school that Sunday morning, and he taught basically how to, uh, the, to be a minister for Christ, to give his life for God. He talked about that, and he did that evening. But he was one of those people, he didn't want any recognition at all. He just wanted to serve. That reminded me, too, at the beginning of this year, our church has gone through some trials this year. Andy Sherbing. 
I don't know about you guys, but I'm still waiting for him to come back and work there. Andy Sherbing, another young man who served the Lord faithfully wherever you wanted him. He always had a smile on his face, a little bit sarcastic at times, but that was Andy. <laughs> and Andy Sherbing simply lived life faithfully to God. And unexpectedly, we didn't, his parents didn't even know it. And Andy now is in glory. A few months ago, one of our dear, beloved friends, brothers in Christ, Roger Myers, miss him, sits right over here. Came down with cancer, diagnosed with cancer. Don't you hate it? He suffered tremendously. But you know what? Every time I visit him, every time we talk, he was giving glory to God. He was telling people about Jesus, nurses and doctors, anyone who would hear him, Jesus saved me when I was young. He's been good to me. We see that he gave his life for the service of the Lord. And I think of Ben Reamers in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. I never met him personally, but I felt like I've known him for years after being there this week. He gave his life to the Lord, not to be seen of men, but simply to serve his God. You know what, guys? As that tragedy happened, and that church has gone through great trials, and seeing that funeral that happened there, they've had to really go through the fire and trusting God with all their heart, soul, and mind. They've had to put on the armor of God. This past week was a vacation Bible school, and the week before was a teen outing, a teen outreach that they had, and then they had a, like a men's and ladies conference. I was speaking about eight times to all kinds of groups. It was a busy week, good week. And again, it would have been easy, the pastor told me, it would have been easy just to simply put everything else on the burner because they're just dealing with grief right now. The family, yesterday was the great site service down in North Carolina where the guy's actually from. It would have been easy to put all that aside and just take a deep breath and move on. But you know what? God, it actually raised the urgency of why they're doing that ministry. Why they're reaching these kids. Why are they reaching these families with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I want to understand this, that the times that we are living on, number one, putting on the armor of God, is not a, it's not a simple request. It's not a good idea that you should put it on. It's an urgent call to action to do it now and to do it daily. Because you do not know what's going to happen in your life. And we are not guaranteed tomorrow. Ben Reemers, he had his whole life ahead of him. Andy Sherbing. The list goes on and on. Other people that you know. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow, folks. Eternity, though, is forever. That's guaranteed. And what you do with Christ, that's the only thing that will last. Only one life will soon be passed, C.T. Studd said. Only what's done for Christ will last. I challenge you here today... If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're on that side of the enemy. But guess what? God, in his grace, has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins and for mine. He died on the cross for us to give us hope, forgiveness, and salvation. And when you trust him as your Savior, he comes into your life and he transforms you from darkness to light, from Satan's power to God's power. And now you're on the winning side. You're on the winning side. You have victory in Jesus, folks. I can't wait to get to heaven. We're going to hang out with Andy, hang out with Roger. I'm sure they're having a great time talking right now. And we're going to see Ben Reamers and others, loved ones that you know and that you love. And guess what? We will sing together victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. I don't know about you, but my heart's been touched and challenged this week by looking at this word. We've only covered one verse today as we think about this. 
But therefore, we must never underestimate the importance of putting on the whole armor of God. The battle that you face may be fierce, but when the dust of the battlefield will settle, we will emerge victorious in Jesus Christ, our captain, as we wear the armor of God.